Hello there. Welcome to the Chakula podcast. I'm your host, Felistas Mwalia. We bring to you all relevant issues and discussions about food in Kenya and beyond. We break down topics and dig deeper into day-to-day happenings in food and farming systems, giving a holistic view on the food we eat. Twenty twenty two is a big year for Kenyans as we anticipate the August general election. The political transition is significant. It presents an opportunity for us to reflect on the progress made with respect to food security, as well as ask questions and challenge our policymakers. Kenyan, for instance, has had eleven elections since gaining independence in nineteen sixty three. Over those years, we've been able to see technological advancements. Enhancement of infrastructure and education and other factors have changed over the years. But food and nutrition insecurity continues to be one of the biggest problems in Kenya. Today, more Kenyans are facing starvation, with the government saying the number has risen to 4.1 million in a month from 3.5 million. The National Drought Management Authority revealed the rise from 3.5 million people in arid and semi-arid land counties has been against the backdrop of failed rains that hit agricultural production and the high food prices that brought more devastation to the people who have endured multiple climate disasters. In addition, more than 14 million Kenyans continue to suffer from chronic food insecurity. Today, Emmanuel Atamba, who's my colleague at the Root Food Initiative and also the program coordinator of the Agroecology and Food Rights Component and uh, Hendrik Ball Foundation. He'll be able to share with us why the government is struggling to fulfill the human right to food as enshrined in the constitution and why it's imperative that all political leaders incorporate the food agenda in their manifestos and explicitly provide their proposed solutions to the food and nutrition insecurity challenge in the country and our power as electorates in holding our leaders accountable. Welcome to the show, Emmanuel. Thank you very much, Feli. How are you for, feeling today? Thank you for having me. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but about the topic and about the mm-hmm. stats you just gave, you know, it's not a very good feeling as a yeah. Kenyan, knowing very well that, you know, we are very proud that we are in a democratic state, that our democracy is something that is envied by a lot of other African countries and a lot of other African people who always see Kenya, you know, as a shining light when it comes to matters democracy, when it comes to matters democratic institutions. But yet, we have not taken advantage of this important platform of democracy to actually advance our own issues, like, for example, the issues of food and uh, nutrition security. And you find that a lot of people are suffering, the numbers you just gave. And uh, even if you just look at uh, the malnutrition levels um, amongst children, we are told that one in every four Kenyan children is malnourished. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a very um, a very big statistic, and it's important that we start to question why. And why that is not being discussed in the political rallies, why that is not discussed in the manifestos, why that is not part of the agenda that the politicians are sharing with Kenyans, and why the electorates are not putting that as um, one of the things to be looked at. It's really bothering me a lot. Um, and this is why we came up with this project, the Food Manifesto, basically to start that conversation. Yeah, Emmanuel, just to take you back, 
you know, also FAO projects that the number of undernourished people globally could increase by 7.6 million in 20, by 2023. My main question here is why aren't we not seeing the government doing anything? Why is it not getting enough attention? Why are people not talking about it? Because you said, yes, we're not, seeing the, we're, not, we're not seeing politicians also talking about it. Why? Yeah, I, I think the question of, you know, basically societies, how societies are governed, and especially democratic societies, is that we have created channels and we have created systems within our society that guide on how we prioritize uh, the things we want to focus on and how we address the challenges that face us as a people. And that's why I'm talking about this democratic platform that we have as a country. And every five years, we have an opportunity to go to the ballot and elect people. And not only the president, we elect members of parliament. We elect governors, we elect senators, we elect women representatives. We elect members of county assemblies. And all these people then are, there, are therefore able to act on our behalf as the people who elected them. And uh, when we talk about, for example, child undernutrition and even just hunger in general and food insecurity in general, you realize that it is not all segments of our population that is feeling this, or at least not in the same way. The member, members of parliament, for example, that we have in government are not affected by milk shortage. They are not affected by maize shortage. They are not affected by unga prices. Their children are not affected by these things. But there are segments of the population, of course, outside the political class, and uh, you know, um, way below in terms of the economic uh, economic classifications and their ability to earn a living and their ability to control economic resources, including land, including access to water, including access to good environment where they can be able to farm and produce their own food. There are people who are suffering down there. And how do these voices now get to the table? How do these issues like child undernutrition, like food insecurity as a result of drought, like food insecurity as a result of floods, because we always have the floods after droughts. And this is what we have made normal as a country, that we can say that the problem that we have, for example, in the 21 or so counties that are affected by drought, is actually, um, as an act of God, we, we say it's a natural, a natural phenomenon happening, but why is that not affecting other people within the same society? And why are Kenyans demanding to, for the fulfillment of this right and also basically for the government to also respect this right? Yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, there's an element of one giving up that mm -hmm. a lot of Kenyans have given up in this system. A lot of Kenyans perhaps feel that, you know, they don't have a chance. They, stand, they don't stand, stand a chance in terms of addressing the issues that are there. They don't uh, have the space to voice out. And, and this, is, this is something that has to be looked at from a very, you know, um, you know a deeper lens that we need to ask ourselves why, for example, the young people have not taken, mm -hmm. uh, you know, their voters' cards, have not registered as voters, to go and vote and, and vote on some of these issues. Because the children in the next five years, ten years, they will be their children who will be part of these statistics we are talking about. Why are these young people not voting about, for example, climate change action? Why are these young people not going out to say, okay, so this is, we have had enough about unemployment, and we are going to use our votes to actually vote for our employment. We are going to use our votes to vote for good policies, to vote for good leaders who are going to come up with solutions to the problems that we're having. And there's that element of giving up. But then, overally, there's, there's some level of, you know, um, it's, it's almost like we're being strangled as a people. We are, being, we are being forced into certain patterns of discussing politics. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think this is the first election where, at least now, we are talking about issues a bit, 
Yeah. Um, not no, not only about individuals and ethnic groupings. There's a bit of issues starting to creep into the political conversations. But these issues, again, are oversimplified. Mm -hmm. We have politicians shouting on the top of their voices about how they're going to make fertilizer prices cheap. Does it mean that everyone now will access food because fertilizer prices are low? We have politicians who are talking about legalizing, you know, cannabis and marijuana, and, you know. So we are oversimplifying, again, the same problems. Yes, at least we have made progress. We are talking about issues. Yeah. But how are we talking about these issues? Yeah. You know, if you talk about um, the other promises, for example, on, uh, you know, guaranteed minimum returns for farmers, who is going to pay for that? How is it going to be structured? We are talking about 6,000 shillings, um, uh, you know, safety net. Mm -hmm. Who is going to be given that? How is that yeah. going to be structured? You know, and, and, and again, you know, now not having that ability to question further is what we have as a, as, a, as, a, as a challenge here. Because these politicians do not even pause to be asked questions. Mm. When we start the political process, everyone is just shouting from left, right, you know, and, and, and there's no space for electorates to actually say, pause, explain more about this. Yeah. Could you also blame it to the fact that uh, the electorates don't have so much information in regards to their right to food. Could, that, could we blame that? or? Yeah, I, I think you saw the other day the story, a very sad story in Mombasa during COVID, I think during the, the, mm. the height of COVID, where this woman had to boil stones so that, you know, she could, you know, cheat her kids that she was preparing something. So the kids waited until they fell asleep. You know, why she had to do that? Because these kids know that they have a right to be fed by someone. Yeah. And and this is everyone is conscious about it. When people talk about food prices and, yeah. and, and go to supermarkets and, and you know they find that the prices of food are unaffordable and all that, they go online and say, you know, this is not acceptable because they know that somehow the government has these responsibilities towards the right to food. They have to respect it um, and uh, recognize it in law and make it part of the law. They also have to protect it mm -hmm. from influence of third parties and they also have to fulfill it in the event that people are not able to feed them. So we know. It's only that the technical jargon might not be common to a lot of Kenyans, but yeah. I think there is always that intrinsic feeling about it for everyone who knows that, you know, someone is responsible and we should have the basics. If you're talking about the right to life, we should have the right to food. So it's, it's that basic. Now, how to actually advocate for it and champion for mm -hmm. it? Because when you're hungry, you're not expected to go on the streets to riot because, first of all, you don't even have the energy to go mm -hmm. out to riot. Yeah. When your children has, uh, uh, you know, have slept hungry for three days, you don't even have the time to come up with a tweet and tweet about it. You don't even have the internet bundles to tweet about it. So there are Kenyans who are disenfranchised to a point that they're actually helpless and they cannot meaningfully participate in that conversation. So they have been put out of the system technically by the challenges that they actually are facing. So it's not that Kenyans don't care, but it's actually that there's that, uh, you know, structural you know, um, uh, process that actually locks out a lot of Kenyans from actually meaningfully participating in this conversation. Yeah, I really like what you said. We can't expect Kenyans to go and champion for this right when they don't have the resources to do that. A perfect example is when you ask a Kenyan, will you use your resources to either buy bundles and treat something or will you, will you use your money to to go to town and protest or will you use your money to buy food? Yeah. So the priority is, yeah, yeah. So Emmanuel, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that the route to food have a manifesto mm -hmm. that I guess was shared with political parties. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about the, the manifesto and what route to food aims to achieve with the manifesto? Yeah, so th this project is just, um, just a tip of the iceberg because it's just trying to actually just point us in the direction that, you know, there's something here that we have to unearth or there's this conversation that ha we have to unpack 
and uh, it's called the food manifesto mm -hmm. and the idea is to put food on the table um and, and 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 basically to just introduce that you know this is actually something that is of concern to kenyans and it has three main parts the first part analyzes the current problem reminds our politicians of where we are as a country in terms of food and nutrition security so it gives you quick statistics on where we are and then uh, there's also a section which is my favorite actually mm -hmm. about the common misconceptions about hunger in kenya and um, if you allow me to just mention maybe uh, two or three there are things that you'll hear politicians saying on the rallies. For example, you know, you'll hear politicians calling certain counties or certain regions as food baskets. Mm -hmm. There is nothing like a food basket in this country. There can be someone in Eldoret, in the middle of all that maize that is produced in Eldoret, who is hungry and who cannot access that maize. There can be someone in Transoya, you know, uh, bordering big wheat, uh, wheat farms and they cannot access that wheat. They cannot afford chapati. So it's, there's nothing about food baskets. We have people who own land, control land resources, and engage in production. Are, it could be by chance that they find themselves in a certain region, but that doesn't mean that that region becomes a food basket because there's no basket where everyone goes to draw food from. So these are private farms, and they should be treated as private farms. These are private enterprises. So when politicians tell you that, you know, our county is a food basket, ask them. You know, is everyone in this county food secure in the first place before we call it a food basket? Then um, the other thing that you hear politicians saying a lot, for example, is about cheap fertilizer. Mm -hmm. They are saying that we are going to lower the price of fertilizer and therefore going to encourage production. Production, again, happens for people who have access to land and yeah. meaningful sizes of passes of land where they can engage in meaningful production. So if you don't have land, uh, Felicitas, and you're living here in Nairobi, it doesn't matter how much the cost of fertilizer is you will have to pay for your unga, you will have to pay for your chapati, you will have to pay for everything else. So in as much as you're talking about increasing volumes of production, that does not translate to access for everyone. So these are some of the policies that you hear politicians just saying, because these are things that have been told over time and people have made them to be like the facts. And one other thing, you know, you hear people talking about genetically modified organisms, um, yeah. GMOs, and say, ah, you know, now when we bring GMOs, then we are food secure. These are, these are just... Um, you know, lies that are told around to, uh, to make us a bit more hopeful about the situation, but actually it's not true. GMOs are not a solution to food security. So we have packaged this information and then we have given them nine proposals on what should actually be done to address the food security problem. Yeah, back on GMOs, I know this is a, something that can be debated by one person who's pro-GMOs and someone else who's pro-GMOs. It, it will be very nice for you to expound more on why you are saying GMOs are not the solution to food security. Yeah, one, quickly, I mm -hmm. mean, GMO seeds are expensive. The whole technology to develop GMOs, super expensive. Kenya cannot even afford with our agriculture funding. We cannot afford to develop our own GMO uh, seeds. Super expensive. So the seeds are expensive, the technology is expensive, simple. So it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Even the GMO cotton that has been allowed in the country now mm -hmm. survives on subsidies. So ah, it is not sustainable. Ah. It's expensive, super expensive. Yeah, yeah. The other challenge is that this, there's an element of control of seeds that, mm -hmm. uh, which can be questioned. Because when you're talking about GMOs, then it's only a few people in the world, a few enterprises in the world that can actually develop GMO seeds. So are we going to give up all our seed sovereignty so that we can follow these two companies or three companies mm -hmm. uh, to feed the whole world? It's not practical. It's not possible. And there are a lot of issues, market issues that come with that, which you cannot uh, handle. Then the other questions, of course, are obvious. There are questions about safety of yeah. the food. Mm -hmm. There are questions about contamination of the other seeds in the environment. So, yeah. and, 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 and of course, again, 
the whole promise that GMO yeah. is a silver bullet is a lie because GMOs are focusing on specific traits. So, for example, for GMO maize, it's on a specific uh, trait um, that is insect repelling, mm -hmm. which doesn't solve all the problems, which doesn't mean that that is a super maize. It is not. So, in summary, basically, food security is not a problem of increasing the supply of food, but it's a problem of demand and affordability from what you've said. Yes, access. Access for everyone. All right. You can have a lot of maize in a yeah. warehouse somewhere mm -hmm. in Nairobi, but if people cannot buy it, then it's not accessible to them. Mm. Yeah. So you you also mentioned that you proposed nine proposals. Perhaps you can share with us some of these proposals that you feel like are the solution to the current challenges we are having. Yeah. So very quickly, the, the you know the, the, basically the idea overall, not to go into all the proposals, yeah. but the idea. But Emmanuel, probably you can just start with what needs to be done urgently, because at the moment the number yes. of hungry people here. One uh, the one of the things that we are saying is that the government should actually prioritize. So the government or the incoming government, and this we have shared this with 32 political mm -hmm, parties, mm -hmm. uh, which are also part of the major coalitions and the major movements, uh, political movements in the country. And one of the things that we are asking is that they should prioritize the food and nutrition uh, security agenda. And by prioritizing, we mean that this is not an issue that can be handled by one ministry. We have seen that when you confuse food security and the right to food and everything and put that together into Ministry of Agriculture, it has failed. So this is not a thing that we should be discussed at ministry level. This is something that should be handled at the presidency level. So that is mm -hmm. one of the proposals mm -hmm. that we have given. And we should have um, regular updates from the government um, on the, on the, in the interest of transparency on actually ensuring that Kenyans are updated on the status of food and nutrition security because it's an important national agenda. And then we are talking about fulfillment of state obligations for the right to food. Basically, what we mean here is that uh, one, we should have a review of all the policies and all the laws in the country to make sure that they align with the right to food, but then also that the state should actually take up its responsibilities uh, in terms of achieving the right to food. You have heard, you know, journalists talking about people dying of hunger. That is unacceptable. That is unacceptable. That is something that you can petition the government on. If if someone dies out of hunger, it's such a pity. So it's not it's not it's not um, it's not that uh, the government is supposed to do this as a knee-jerk reaction and all that. But we want to see the right to food formally recognized and actually, you know, uh, included in all the policies and uh, mm -hmm. all the all the laws we that we develop in the country. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So the other proposal, of course, we are talking about enhancing producer incomes and livelihoods in a sustainable and holistic way. We're not just talking about fertilizer, reducing the prices of fertilizer. That is not a silver bullet to addressing this. We need to look at the whole holistic value chain and see how actually within the food systems context, how uh, producer incomes and livelihoods can be enhanced. And then food safety. Food safety is an important topic. And a lot of Kenyans are worried about the safety of their food. And, you know, leave alone even if it's actually genuine or it's actually factual that there could be safety issues in your food. You can just imagine eating food that you're suspecting to be unsafe. It is, not, it is not the same. It is not, it doesn't give you the same feeling of eating food. So the fact that a lot of Kenyans are concerned about the safety of their food should actually be part of the political agenda. Yeah. yeah. Emmanuel, just back to enhancing producer, and, producer incomes and livelihoods. Yeah. How... How do you see that changing? Because you've not really mentioned so much on what, on what you expect the government to do. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of threats um, uh, to producer incomes and livelihoods mm -hmm. in general. One of them is climate change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when we talk about climate change, of course, we are not saying that, you know, okay, the world is ending tomorrow or anything like that. Very far from that. But there are actually real issues that come as a result of climate change that require a lot of knowledge investment uh, so that farmers can be able to know what to do and how to cope with climate change issues and climate mitigation. There are, of course, insurance uh, programs that the government can develop so that farmers, for example, pastoralists, will suffer a lot. They lose their livelihoods because when their animals die, they don't have any other source of livelihood. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, there should be programs that, uh, you know, maybe ensures the animals, ensures the livestock. Some of these programs have been mentioned, but they have not been implemented fully. Um, again, uh, you know, uh, rural development in general and alternative sources of income, because, again, when you talk about rural development, it shouldn't only be about agriculture. Yeah. So, and again, people confuse agriculture and rural development. Mm -hmm. Agriculture is one of the drivers, it's one of the most important economic activities for most rural areas. But it is not the start and the end of rural development. So we should be talking about alternative sources of income for rural areas and alternative forms of, of livelihoods uh, for people living in rural areas. Actually, about only 25% of guys in the rural areas are actually full-time farmers. The rest of the guys want to earn from Mujengo, they want to earn from salons, they want to earn from shops, yeah. they want to earn from services. So we need to build an environment that can be able to sustain that so that we do not have uh, a lot of people over-relying on agriculture for livelihoods, which is unsustainable. And all developed economies, of course, you know, you get agriculture developing, the, 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 the actual contribution of agriculture increasing, but the proportion of agriculture to GDP is supposed to reduce in a progressive economy. So that is something that has to be discussed, you know, more tangibly. It's not just about throwing few words here and there that the politicians are doing. It's quite interesting what you've mentioned on us assuming that in, when doing the rural development, we just focus on agriculture neglecting the other source of livelihoods for people living in rural areas. Emmanuel, you're just talking about food safety. And from a report done by Consumer Grassroots Association, we yeah. see that nine out of every 10 Kenyans are worried about their food safety. Basically, what proposal did you put on the brief that could be the solution to food safety in the country? Uh, one of the challenges with food safety, Felistas, is the fact that uh, we do not actually have a proper institution to handle food safety mm -hmm. issues. Um, sitting here, I remember vividly uh, one time when we were discussing about pesticides in parliament and um, the guys from CAFES were asked uh, by the Parliamentary Health Committee to come and make a presentation on the role of CAFES in this whole, because there was a whole, you remember there was a whole campaign about pesticides yeah. and uh, when we were talking about removing some of the toxic pesticides from the market. And uh, the CAFES guys made a very interesting presentation and it's actually backed by law. And they said to parliament, that it's the parliament that makes the laws. And therefore, the parliament should know that the CAFIS Act, the Kenya Plant Health Protectorate Service Act, does not obligate CAFIS to do anything in regards to food safety. And CAFIS is only responsible for plant health, not human health. And, uh, you know, they were asked, but you guys test at the airport. They say, no, 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 we are testing at the airport because we have a contract with the European Union and we test for export. So we do not test for local market. And this is one of the biggest challenges. But when you listen to all stakeholders, all stakeholders believe that actually CAFIS does inspection in the market to look at uh, pesticide residues in food, any form of contamination, be it bacteria and all that in food, so that we know that there is someone checking what we are eating from our markets. There is no one. Mm -hmm. That is something that Kenyans should know. Yeah. All the food that is sold in Kangemi, no one is checking. 
But all the food that is sold in Marikiti, no one is checking. But they do, they do check for export. Not... They do check for export only. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, sometimes when they want to just do something for data, like they, they did a report in 2018, mm-hmm. they did a report, they, they did some samples in the Kenyan market and found there's a lot of pesticide contamination in food in 2018. And we used, we, we referenced that report in our white paper when we were talking about pesticides. And after we did that, after the report was now gaining a lot of attention, they removed that report from the website. If you go to Kefis website to date, <laughs> that they, they have all the annual general reports from Kefis, but the 2018 one is missing. So again, just that is just an, an illustration. Yeah. When Kenyans say that Kebs is responsible for looking at the safety of their food, Kebs is not responsible for looking at all the food. Kebs only looks at processed foods. Mm-hmm. Processed foods. So nothing to do with the grains that are sold out there in the market, nothing to do with the green vegetables and all that. So we do not have an institution that is mandated to actually take care of the food safety issues affecting Kenyans. So So that is one of the things that we have have actually proposed. And the other thing, of Mm -hmm. course, is one, we need to withdraw all the toxic, harmful pesticides from the market. There There are different types of pesticides but we have pesticides that we have identified uh, about 32 active ingredients in the market yeah. that are highly toxic. They are highly carcinogenic. They are endocrine disruptors. They affect reproductive health. And we have said that these pesticides should be removed from the market so that we can start talking about another approach or another conversation after we have removed the most toxic pesticides from the market. It's basically like taking the razor blade away from your child before starting talk to talk to them about how it can cut them. But you remove it in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Emmanuel, at the moment we've been seeing people talking about food prices, food is expensive. Mm. And I, I think it's very important for us on the podcast today to talk about some yeah. of the solutions, some of the, because this is one of the things that needs to be addressed urgently. So from where you sit, what needs, what needs to be urgently done to ensure that every Kenyan can access food? And not only food, but nutritious and safe food that is affordable. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think the whole question of access is really a broad question. It's not yeah. about one. Let's demystify. It's not about agricultural production. Only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Production mm-hmm. is important to make the food available in the market. But the food is available in the market. But how you get things from the market is through paying, and a lot of Kenyans do not have the economic power at this moment to do mm-hmm. that. And when you find guys in the middle class complaining about the price of unga, you should really ask yourself what is happening to this country. And um, you, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict or war. Actually, it's actually war. I don't know. Maybe you know it's war here, but there they say it's conflict. I don't know what it is. But um, anyway, if it was here, it would be war. So it's war. <laughs> So this Russia-Ukraine war, people are blaming it for everything. But uh, I, I saw someone with a nice poster. They were asking, do bananas come from Ukraine? You know, do mangoes come from Ukraine? Because we cannot blame this conflict on everything that we are going through. So as a country, you know, we need to really investigate and look at the issues that are there. So one, there is a question of production. And low production is, of course, because farmers have been demoralized over time. For example, a commodity like maize, which is very important, Farmers have been demoralized over time by low prices. The government interferes with the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these farmers, some of them have abandoned the production in the first place. So we don't have the produce here locally. And when you're buying something from outside, then the market is not something that is within your control. The prices from the market is not something that is within your control most of the time. And then there's overall the cost of shipping it in and all that. But overall, it doesn't matter how much 
the price of unga costs. The price of unga could even be 500 shillings and people would not complain. There are Kenyans today here in Nairobi, I don't know why you look surprised, but there are <laughs> Kenyans today here in Nairobi who would not even mind buying the packet of unga at 1,000 shillings. The problem is that when the prices go up, the incomes of everyone is not going up to measure to that. But Atamba, that goes back to the minority. The majority will definitely compa- complain. That's why I'm saying, that yeah. is why I'm saying mm-hmm. that the question really is about how are people able to access with inflation. Inflation will always come. Yeah. Uh, inflation will always be there when you put money in the economy and when you do investments, mm-hmm. big investments and all that, you put money in the economy. During campaign seasons like this, there's a lot of circulation of cash. So there will be inflation. But the problem that we have in this country is that not all of us have access to the same opportunities to, uh, to earn a living. That the person who goes to Amujengo today is earning um, you know, way less, like a hundred times less than someone who goes to the office. This is, this is a big discrepancy. This is a big discrepancy. And, and that is why you will find that the same unga that you will not be able to access, someone else is still accessing. Mm. And this other person is not shouting the same way you're shouting. This other person is not complaining the same way you're complaining. So we are in a society where we do not have the same feeling about everything. And this is one of the biggest problems that we have, that we have an unequal society. Today in London, I think I think I saw about three days ago, there were demonstrations yeah, in London yeah. about the cost of living. In London. I guess the question goes back to how do we hold our government accountable? Yes, of yeah. course. And what do we do as a, as a basically as a collective or but we have as to Kenyans. go mm-hmm. we have to go beyond the price of unga because yeah, yeah. even if we bring down the price of unga we will not bring out down the price of mafuta and boga mm. we will not bring down the price tomatoes right now are untouchable in the market tomatoes we leave alone the unga people because the reason why people are talking about unga is because unga is very basic tomatoes you can cook without <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's you know it's, it's not a laughing matter tomatoes yeah. are untouchable in the market mm-hmm. for example so we are not able to really like um, say that we can actually manage to keep the prices of food constant all the time that is not practical yeah what is practical is having a society that is equal Thank you so much, Emmanuel. I guess the conversation has now become very political. But just to wind up, Emmanuel, I know Root to Food have been at the forefront pushing the government to increase budgetary allocations mm-hmm. when it comes to agriculture. Mm-hmm. Maybe just, is this also a, pro- a solution to achieving food in, to achieving food security in the country and rela- basically realization of the human right to food in the country? Yes, uh-huh. I, I think... Um, it's, it, it is it is supposed to be one of the things that we are doing. Yeah. Why? Again, remember that a lot of people, a lot of Kenyans work within the agriculture sector. Yeah. Either as farmers or small entrepreneurs, as laborers in the farms and all this. So agriculture is a very important sector, first of all, in terms of earning livelihoods and incomes. But again, just allocating billions to agriculture is not a solution. Mm-hmm. We have had conversations where the Ministry of Agriculture is being said to actually be returning some of the money back to the exchequer. So we, we are saying increase, they are given about 2.8% of the total GDP, and then they take back some of the billions. <laughs> so civil society is here saying, you know, we need to fund agriculture yeah. up to 10%, but they can't use the 3% they are given. Or the 2.8%. And the numbers have not so, introduced. So there's a whole structural problem. And again, what are we using the resources for? If we are using all the funding that goes to agriculture to subsidize chemical fertilizers, again, we're just putting money in the pockets of a few actors in the sector. 
And we are not looking at overly addressing the issues that affect producers. We need to invest in research, uh, in research that is aligning with climate change, looking at solutions, how to mitigate against climate change. We need to invest in knowledge support. We need to invest in extension provision. Yeah. Right now, we do not have extension officers. We don't. And this is very important because by the time this guy is reading news somewhere and saying, ah, you know, there's rains coming and uh, farmers should brace for evidence. What is bracing? What, what does that bracing entail? There's no information about that. Farmers do not have support, technical support on the ground to know this is what to do, this is what to grow, this is how to do it, this is how to do it productively, this is how to make it profitable. They don't have that knowledge. Yeah. So we need to invest in these things. And these things are heavy in terms of resource. And, and the reason why the government is not investing that they are, they, you know, it's very easy to um, excite people with fertilizers, for example, and, and seed subsidies, but that is not the only solution. Yeah, we can there are also see, problems, yeah. yeah, we can also see profit making companies taking up the job of providing extension services, which is very problematic. Of course, um, yeah. not not only profit making, but people are out there to just sell their own products. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, now their their agents have motorbikes and they are running around the villages. So someone from company A comes to sell you a product that deals with pest A. Uh, they go. Tomorrow, someone else comes, they say, ah, you applied that one, but you can also apply this one. They work together well. And then you see farmers producing crops that are too expensive even for the market. So by the time they sell, the other the companies that are selling these agrochemicals have already taken all the profits. So mm -hmm. the, this farmer is just a conduit for money. Yeah, so what should you be know? done to address that? We need extension services from the government. We need extension services that are objective. Extension services that are not focused on profit making, as you said. Extension services that... You know, um, you know, we'll guide farmers on things to do that um, might not even, for example, necessarily need to involve buying inputs and buying expensive technologies. Before you tell a farmer to buy a drip irrigation kit, you should tell them about mulching, for example. You know, it's simple, it's easier, and they, maybe they could be able to work with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With the numbers that we have on the number of hungry people in the country, we've also talked about food safety and also food prices. Atamba, just back to you, because you've talked so much on the role of the government in ensuring that we are a food-secure nation, but what is the role of the voters? What, what is the role of the electorates? Again, obviously, we are not asking for favors, you know. Um, yeah. We pay taxes to this government, you know, remember? <laughs> and um, I think we are not asking for favors. That is important, that yeah. Kenyans, mm -hmm. the voters should actually put that in their minds when demanding um, or engaging with the political class. Even after the election, when you go to see your governor about a road in your area or about uh, food security problems or about, you know, this and this policy, it is not a favor. It is their responsibility to do what is supposed to be done to create an enabling environment for us to feed ourselves. We are not asking them for food. We are not asking the government to feed us. We are asking them to create an enabling environment where we can feed ourselves in dignity. There is no dignity in Chakula Yamsada. There's no dignity when someone gives you food. There's no dignity when someone, you know, gives you money. There's dignity in you and in your own. So we need to create an enabling environment for everyone. Not the elites, not, uh, not the people we like, not the people who come from our ethnic communities, not the people who live around Nairobi alone. We should do that for everyone. The problem we have is that we try to, to do it for people who, you know, um, can either make noise or shout and we make them comfortable and then they keep quiet and then the other guys can suffer. So I think we need to do that. But the electorates also have a responsibility 
to really make this an agenda. I know the, the, the current political season has really uh, been spent. I mean, this is an ongoing conversation that should continue. One day, we should have an election about food. We should elect a government on the basis of what they're going to do about our food. Leave alone all these big infrastructural projects and all these things and all these promises and everything else. We should elect a government on the basis of what they're going to do about food. Because you know what? When all is said and done, everyone wants to eat something. Thank you so much, Emmanuel, for the interesting insights. Thank you so much to our listeners for listening in. Remember to subscribe, share, and like. Thank you.